Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. I quite enjoyed the article you sent me this morning about the Japanese um, corporate warriors rethinking their priorities. I think that's happening for a lot of people. Yeah, I thought that was interesting to see because, and, you know, talking to former colleagues I've had who work out of Tokyo, it felt like the transformation around ways of working you know, it was slower to happen there that, the, you know, they have a, a different work culture and that, you know, remote work and all of that is very new and very different and very not the way that um, they did business. So I thought, you know, seeing that change um, or start to change was super interesting. Yeah. yeah look, I haven't worked there, but I, but I have worked with many people from there and, and, it is a different culture to the Western way that I'm comfortable with. Um, and I think this, this pandemic for all the bad things that happened with it has been good um, for many people and many reasons um, to, to redefine why they work, how they work, and what they work with, tools-wise. Yeah, and hopefully like what they are doing, you know. Um, I think... It was a, a Gallup poll that they pointed out where um, only 4%, I think it was 4% of Japanese workers reported feeling engaged with their job, which seems to be a product of the expectation being for the most part that you join one company and you stay with them and you kind of move where they say you should move and kind of do what they um, say you should do. And it's kind of less self-driven, more like, you know, loyalty and, and driven by the company you work for. Um, but I thought that, you know, 4% engaged was <laughs> like a, an absurd number, honestly. Yeah, sorry, I'm standing because my daughter's trying to sleep and I've got to keep rocking her in her frame. <laughs> uh, I actually can't see you on video anymore, so you're good. Oh, uh, that's interesting because I can see me in video. Oh, weird. Hope you're just a bubble. Oh, okay. Bizarre. Um, well, let me turn my camera off then because we'll probably improve the bandwidth. Um, yeah, so, so it's interesting because that, that's almost like my parents' sort of generation were like that. I and mean, my dad was at the same company 44 years, you know, from, a, from apprentice all the way through to the day he left. You know, he didn't, didn't go anywhere else. Okay, he, after that, he went and consulted for a little bit. But, you know, if I if I compare my career and, and he and I have different very different views on it, I mean I I will move, I say regularly, but you know, eighteen months to three years, three and a half years is probably my longest stint somewhere, and that's just based on growth and opportunity, um, which is a very different mindset to to the previous generations. And, and I remember talking with a Japanese work colleague about exactly that, about how from a 
tradition point of view and and the um and a specific word that I can't remember what it was, but basically him if he had to move around, he would lose face uh for his family if he's working with a big brand, like if he was working for Sony or or someone like that that's well known and he left them, that would have replications through the whole family. It wouldn't just be him moving. And and I think that's starting to change, maybe. Uh, from what this article is saying, that they want one brand, but then they want to be able to do their own thing or, or find fulfillment in their career. Yeah, it sounds like there's less judgment or it's becoming more normal for people to move around a bit. I don't know how it is and if this is starting to go away in Japan or what, if it's kind of the influence of... Um, more being self-driven and doing what you want to do and following your interests and passions, if that's kind of a driver. But at least, um, you know, from my perspective in the U.S., and you're right, a lot of the previous generations would stick with, you know, their employer their whole career or for a very large portion of it. But they had, you know, pensions. They had things that were long-term incentives for them to stay with one company they built up you know they had a financial and security you know safety net reason to stick with one company and a lot of those bigger benefits have eroded faded away no longer are a thing so your financial loyalty to one company is you know it's it's less risky to change jobs because there's not as much you kind you haven't put all your eggs in one basket, um, so to say. Well, well, and I think that's what digitalization has changed. But I mean, if you think about why that was the case, is because the only companies that could do a pension were the big ones, and typically those pensions were self-managed. Now, and I see this in South Africa and the UK. You know, your pension can be with any third party. Um, because you know the, the economy is a scale are there now that, that anyone can basically anyone with you know obviously the regulations and stuff can set up a pension fund and you can contribute to it. Uh, in fact, it's law in the UK if you work more than a certain amount of hours, you have to be in a pension. We have to have a pension scheme that you contribute. Oh, to. that's nice. Um, but you're not locked into the company one in most cases. So, like when I worked for UBS, mm-hmm. we we could we had to use the UBS pension fund. Because all our fees were waived, or something to that effect, we had quite a preferential fee structure. And then the minute I left, that had to go to a third party straight away. Um, and I say straight away, but like eighteen months to decide where it goes and you know, all that kind of stuff. But it couldn't stay in the UBS fund, um, obviously because of that benefit on the fee structures. Um, but now it's pretty common to like move your stuff around. There's no there's no fees to move it per se. You're buying and selling. Um, index funds, really. So there's a buy and sell cost. But like I've moved all my stuff to a provider who offers the best on fees and consolidated all my pension funds into that. And it's a completely um, digital experience. You know, I log into a portal, I do the submissions electronically, I sign off the documents electronically, I submit them back. I mean, I did all this while in South Africa. Um, whereas a lot of these pension providers here are still old school in the sense that you have to write a letter, fill in a form, post it in, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think and I think that's what makes it appealing for me in some respects. You know, this, the, the reason to stay in a company is because it's got good culture 
and there's growth opportunities and you know you feel like you're aligned with everyone the reasons those benefits are there and by law they have to be here in some cases um but i have freedom to choose because of digital tools digital implementations yeah i think it's very interesting hearing your perspective and i feel like the us is so behind in certain areas um you know our health insurance is tied to employment right so every time you switch employers you have to go through that and figure that whole thing out again like mm-hmm. there people certainly still do it and you know working in tech has definitely i think skewed my perception of what a tenure is because you know a lot of people do move every two to three years it's very common so but you know that does come with some annoyances over here in terms of switching you know pretty important parts of your life plan and um safety net around but that's just how it goes oh look it's you know i mean i've worked in lots of small companies too and, and those things are those benefits um, don't always exist. So I remember I worked for, when I first started my career, I worked for a company and they didn't cover medical. So you had to cover medical yourself. And if you're paying for medical directly, it's far more expensive than if you're doing it in a group. But the group's got to be a certain size. Um, and if you're working in a startup, you know, 10, 15 people, that's too small. So you need to be like the 30s, the 50s to get even the base level thing. So, so I can understand, you know, a lot, to the, a lot of that stuff. Um, in, in a lot of ways, South Africa was quite a quite far ahead of this. Um, you know, if I, when I got to the UK, for example, what we had as private healthcare in South Africa as as a as a scheme that you paid into um, was quite advanced. And and ironically, the the, the scheme that I'm tied to here in the UK um, is is actually a South African company, um, which is the one that I use in South Africa as well because of what they do, and, and that's a whole. Uh, gamification thing. I think we've talked about it before, but but in essence, if you do your fitness, you do your walking, you do all that stuff, you get benefits for being healthy, which ties back into your health insurance, which in theory means you claim less. So they've used what some some model to say that if you claim less, then obviously it doesn't cost the scheme anything, but they can give you an exchange. So they'll pay for like we get our shoes half price. Uh, get our gym memberships half price. You know, if you use a, a named gym, um, I get a free cup of coffee once a week. All that, you know, silly things. But they gamified it so well that all I do is check my app. I, you know, you know me, I've got my, my different tracking devices. Um, but I know that if I don't do that stuff, um, I mean, it's a silly thing. I'm using my free cup of coffee, but I really know that I'm, I'm improving my health, um, which means I don't spend a lot of time going to doctors and all the rest. Of it. So, Healthcare becomes a really when you need it situation, as opposed to something that keeps you going. Um, and again, digital yeah. tools. Yeah, preventative is key. Um, maybe to flip this conversation on its head, and I don't have mm-hmm. any research or data to kind of back this up or inform this, but I think it is interesting to think about the um, the organization side of this equation and, and the perspective of a company. Because if you have employees who are moving around more frequently, kind of, you know, doing two to three year stints with you, you kind of expect a certain level of turn, right? That becomes normal. What does that mean for 
knowledge transfer and like disruption within the organization is that, I mean, it's, it's pretty costly to onboard and hire new employees. So I just think it's interesting to like, what does that do to an organization over time to have, you know, not infrequent turnover of staff? I mean, you can say that, you know, anyone is really replaceable to an extent, you know, you can always get someone to fill the role, but there's, you know, knowledge and um, processes and everything that do change when you, or get lost when you um, lose people. Well, that, that is a huge problem. So it's something, I mean, this, when I did that burnout thing, and this is something that came up quite a lot, is staff retention, um, you know, working with, uh, way or finding ways rather to keep staff coming in and things like flexible working, remote working, um, those things we, we actually, some of the key reasons for, for a person to come or go from a company, uh, in some cases, more than who the boss was, because that used to be the old reason. You know, you know, people don't need companies, they, they need their bosses. Um, and, you know, if I look at, um, you know, various scenarios that I've been involved in, one of those things has always been uh, the, the choice, you know, being treated like an adult. So, so if, you, if you're able to do things because you think it's the most suitable, you know, within reason and, and for the right reasons, ways of doing something, you get empowered to do that. That's, that's usually what builds a good culture uh, in an organization. Uh, where, where it tends to go off the rails is when you, people are overly constrained um, and that creates you know, um, what's the word? Resentment to toward the org. Um, and these are the things that are, are, are factors now for people coming into the market. I mean, I, I, I was interviewing some guys today. Uh, every single one of them, the first question was, what's your policy on remote working? What's your policy on personal devices? What's your policy on um, working uh, in different locations? You know, do I have to come to the office every day? That was like, that's the first kind of questions. Um, and it's, I don't think it's because people don't like to go and meet other people in the office. I think it's coming back to that, that freedom choice um, and saving time. I think, you know, time and, and energy and fatigue, people become very aware of it and realizing that they do their best work when they're not tired. Um, and I think that's a big factor too. I went all over the place on that one, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think the remote work part of it um, is hugely important to attracting and retaining certain staff in particular. Um, definitely skewing younger, but a lot of people have benefited from that flexibility and just see that it improves their lives overall. And so it's hard to, without a very good justification, right? Why would you give that up? I mean, I think a lot of people can understand the the need to come together in person and, and meet people and maybe have collaboration moments and that there's times that justify it. But for a lot of the work, a lot of the knowledge work that, um, you know, because really what we're talking about here is people who are knowledge workers for the most part. Um, that is, it, it still comes down to 
you're staring at a screen, you're working on digital files, you are uh, having video calls, like the nature of your work really doesn't change no matter where you're working from. So sorry, I didn't kind I, of I didn't actually sorry. Oh, um, did you lose me again? I didn't, I, okay. No, that's fine. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't tie in the other piece to what you were saying, which is the the, the knowledge of the of the worker. Um, so, so I think that comes down to realizing that anyone that comes in new, and this doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. in the office or remote, is going to have a, a ramp up time. You know, not to three months. Um, obviously, working together in an office, I think that can be accelerated, and I think there's a level of um, new joiners slash young workers that are calling out to be in the office every day to get the knowledge. And then once they've got the knowledge, they can work remotely. Now, when Ike walks out the door, um, you know, especially when, when someone's been in the company for multiple, multiple years, you know, two, two upwards, their, their institutional knowledge is, is quite high. And, and that, I don't think that value can always be um, articulated. But usually when they leave, it's what, it's what they don't know that they knew that walks out the door. That often is more important than what, that, what, they, what, they, what you knew they knew. Um, so a salesperson mm-hmm. that walks out the door, you know, you know they know the product, you know they know some people. So that, that you, can, you can almost, in some sense, in some senses, work a, work a plan to, to do a handover and, and retrain someone. But the experience of selling to a customer five years ago where they were a good relationship and, and all that stuff, and they can go back there again, that you can't always train for, that you can't replace easily. Um, and it's a nature of business. I don't think you'll ever solve that problem per se, but it's, it's yeah. good to try and avoid that problem if you can. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's the best answer, right? It's not great for companies, for employees to be moving around and the more incentives and, you know, the more they can improve their own culture to convince employees to stay for longer than that kind of two to three year mark, um, you know, the better it will be for the organization. I think part of this too is, and I'm interested to see what changes here and if anything changes here, but, you know, it's pretty common knowledge, I think particularly in tech, that if you want to have a higher salary, the best way to do that is to change jobs. Like the raise that you're getting on an annual basis doesn't come close to what you could get by switching companies a lot of the time. So I think that's something that organizations either need to solve for when it comes to um really understanding where the job market is at and um, salary expectations or just accept, you know, some level of attrition because of, of that part of the equation, um, which is, you know, obviously having a, a good culture and good benefits um, keeps people around and, and is an important part of that equation. But at a certain point, um, that, that's what it comes down to for a lot of people on why they decide to switch jobs. Hey, look, uh, I mean, we talked about this before. I've seen that often. I mean, we went through a stage, specifically in the market space, where when you've got a booming product, like uh, in those days, SharePoint was the booming product, and then with Dynamics, and guys would move between partners. And, and, and it's a small 
network. You know, everyone knows everyone in those places. And the developer would work six months on a project and then go to the next company and and, and they would take him or her because they were desperate for resources that had the knowledge and pay them 10, 20% more just to get them. Uh, and you see it a lot in India as well, where if you don't move quickly on a on a resource, you can lose them to another one because they're prepared to pay X amount more or they're going to better reputation in the market. And, and I think that's almost the, the, the mercenary world we live in in some respects, that is tech. Um, and I was speaking to someone today about it, funny enough, and we we're talking about him coming across to join us. And he said, well, look, I can't go until I finish off a few things because that's how I am. And I said, yeah, that's that's how you should be. You know, you've, but, but once you tell me that you're coming on X and X day, then you're locked in. Like, that's your time frame. I don't want to hear in X and X day minus one that you can't come because you haven't finished the stuff off. You know, and at that point, it's not my problem anymore. But I hear you've got a reputation to protect. You've got a, and you've got to protect it because you're a consultant and and you're only as good as your last your last job. So so that's you know that's acceptable. That's the professionalism that should exist. And and a guy like you know this or any other sort of go to SMEs, um, they should um, follow a code of conduct like that where um, they move around, but they move around providing good good quality work because that's what makes them. Valuable. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes back to the enjoying what you do and being, you know, driving your career based off of your interests and um, finding that satisfaction in it, right? It's not very satisfying to go to an organization, basically go through the onboarding period and leave, like you want to deliver some value, right? And um, make an impact. And I think when you, that's, that's where it's tricky, right? If you, um, if you come in and don't, that's not part of it, like, what are you working for? Like you're, you're maybe being a very efficient way to get your paycheck for minimal effort. But like, does that, is that satisfying? I guess at the end of the day, I think what I've realized um, changing companies is that I I like to have institutional knowledge, not to hoard it, but like to become a subject matter expert, to be someone who, you know, is known to be someone you can come to with questions, you know, relied on. That I enjoy having that as part of my role. And, you know, I've been at my current company around six months. It's going to take, you know, more time to get to where I was at my previous company, but um, in terms of being an expert, but um, that I find personally satisfaction from, you know, be feeling like I'm really providing something in that way. And that if I didn't invest in that, my career would feel hollow or I don't know, just, yeah, less, less fulfilling, I think. Yeah, but there's a certain comfort in being institutionalized and certain safety with that. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people didn't leave their, their work during the pandemic, not only because they you know, needed the job and whatever, but there was a certain, you know, in a lot of uncertainty, there was comfort in knowing where you were and what you were doing every day. Uh, and the minute that that comfort, the minute that the things started to open up and opportunities started presenting themselves, there was a whole bunch of people that said, you know what, I don't really enjoy this company. I, uh, you know, it's, 
there's other things out there, let me move. And that became the sort of great resignation, the great reshift, or what do you want to call it? Um, which I can totally understand. I mean, you know, I, as I said, I move, you know, fairly regularly, which, you know, it's not something I always want to do, but sometimes there's, there's an opportunity that presents itself that is more suited to where I want to go and what I want to do. Um, and, and part of the fun is starting in a new place and learning all the stuff and, you know, being mm. exposed to, to the change because that, that's a thrill. Maybe it's the ADHD or something like that that, that feeds into that. Um, but then there's also a level of, um, if I look at some, you know, I still get phone calls for the companies I've worked in and they go, well, you know, why did you do that? Or how can you, you know, can you help us with this? And there's a certain sense of satisfaction or, or fulfillment that you can still help someone with something you did five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. No, absolutely. Good point. Cool. Um, uh, I do need to to run. I'm going to take yeah. my daughter out here. She's uh, needs some water. Um, good to catch up. All right. You too. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.